Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, thanks thanks for being here with us today, guys. Uh, it's so good. For those of you who are wondering what just happened, um, I, I said to the band this week, I said, guys, I want, you to, I want you to finish and lead into my sermon with some energy. Well done. Yes. Because uh, it's Palm Sunday, and when you read the story of Palm Sunday in the Gospels, Palm Sunday is a party. Yeah, like the people, it's, it is the coronation of a king. At least they, what they think is happening, and the people are waving palm branches, doing the, the Jewish conga line, cha-cha, I don't know. They, they have Jewish dances. They watch the filler on the roof. You'll see them all. They're in there. Um, they got all their dances. So, I mean, they were partying. They were celebrating. And honestly, when you go to the Old Testament, you find that, that God literally creates festivals and feasts, and he forces them to eat food and spend time with family, have fun, celebrate, and dance. And sometimes I think we get a little too stiff, don't we? And I, and I, I wanted them, like, so they started with a slow song, and they built it up to, like, a rock ballad or a rock energy song. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because some, some people uh, be here today being like, that, that's not church like I know it. And the whole point of Palm Sunday is nothing on that Palm Sunday went as people expected it. And that's what we're going to see today. In fact, what I've discovered in my life is that God rarely does what I expect him to do. He rarely does it the way I think. I'm like, this is how he's going to do it. And he goes a totally different direction. And I'm left dumbfounded because I have my expectations so narrow. So I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Some of you have joined in the festivities you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's good. It just rattles me enough. Someone this morning at the first service brought me this authentic Hawaiian necklace made out of shells. I got a kiss on each cheek. It was amazing. So, so we need to do services like this more often. Um, absolutely love it. So what I want to do, I want to begin with a little game. Um, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put some slogans, some corporate slogans on the screen. And I'm just going to ask you to shout out if you know the company that has these slogans, and we're, we're going somewhere with it. We're going to start super, super easy. First slogan, I want you to see if you can figure out what company. I'm loving it. Okay, I heard a whole bunch, like that was instant. So they've done a really good job with their marketing because I'm loving it somehow is now equated in your mind with McDonald's. Now their fries are pretty good when they're hot, but when they're not, it's styrofoam, right? Salty styrofoam, and I'm loving it, I don't know, uh, about an hour later, you're not loving it. That's been my experience. <laughs> But we just keep going. I, yeah. Here's another one. Think different. Yeah, I heard a few people say Apple. That, that's good. When I, was a, when I was a kid, we got our first home computer from Costco. Or I guess it was Price Club. That's what it was. Thank you. Price Club had computers. So my, my parents bought a computer like before people had computers. And it was this big box. And it was IBM. And it said on the front, Think. That was, their, that was their, their word. That was their slogan. It was like, smart, computers, think. And then Apple comes along, and they make their slogan, think different. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so that's Apple. Uh, here's one everyone will probably get, except one person in the first service got this totally wrong, but you'll get it, I'm sure. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&Ms, that's awesome. Somebody said Skittles in the first service. It was really funny. Um, here's one. This is going to be a tricky one, because you're going to think of a bunch of brands uh, for this one, catch the wave. Nesty, iced tea. I, yeah, cranberry juice. I got all these, but someone, I think right away, someone said Coke. 
I heard someone say Coke. In the 1980s, when I was growing up, I remember specifically in the 1980s, they used this slogan a lot. And the can of Coke had a, had a wave on it, and it said, catch the wave. I'm not sure what wave you were supposed to catch, but <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible, terrible, but tastes so good. Catch the wave, that was their slogan, and so they keep changing theirs. Here's the last one that I want to do. It goes like this, have it your way. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing two answers specifically. I'm hearing Harvey's and Burger King. Burger King is the correct answer, it, which, is, which is interesting to me because the whole Harvey's model was like you build the burger in front of you, like you pick your toppings. And so that makes sense, but somehow Burger King landed that slogan and they've used it for 40 years. Um, have it your way. And honestly, I do like to have it my way, especially my food. I'm very particular about my food. Burger, no pickle, or sorry, no onion, double pickle. That's the way I like it. Yeah, a few people are nodding. That's, we're with you, Pastor. So I, I like to have my food the way I want it. But in reality, I think that slogan, have it your way, I want to talk about today. Because I think inside of all of us as human beings, there is a desire to have it our way. And, and that doesn't just pertain to food. I'm talking we want to have it our way when it comes to relationships. We want to have it our way when it comes to our marriages. You know, we're, we're all fighting it to have it our way. When we go to work, we want it our way. We, we, want, we want the government, you know, it's like, why are they doing that? Why are they doing, aren't they listening to me? I want it my way. We all want it our way. And, and to be honest with you, it's just something that's so deeply ingrained in each and every one of us. But it goes further than that. I believe that the scriptures teach that each and every one of us wants to have a God our way. We want God to show up our way. We want a God that meets our needs, our requests, our desires. In, in fact, we want a DIY God. And when you go back to the Old Testament, when Jesus, or sorry, when God gives the Ten Commandments, specifically the first commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord your God and him only. There's, there's one God and it's God and there's no other gods and so don't even try. He's number one, that's it. The second one, you think he would be done with that, but he says don't make any graven images. And throughout time and throughout history, and even you can travel the world today through various cultures and religions and faiths, and what you will find is people all over the world are creating images of God. They're creating God's idols, forms, shapes that represent what they believe God would be for them. Do you know what I'm talking about? So it's kind of a DIY God. I like a God who's going to bless me. He's got you know, money, and I got like a God who's going to provide health or fertility, and there's all of these gods, and the gods are specifically ones for us. In the Old Testament, it's called idolatry, and the people used to build and gods for themselves, and of course, most of us don't have idols in our houses, but I think that it's probably still true that we still want to have God our way. We want God to show up in the way we think he's going to show up to do the things he's going to do. And Palm Sunday is this amazing moment because historically speaking, the people of Jerusalem in the, in the capital city of Israel are coming out of the city, flooding out to meet Jesus. He is coming down, his disciples and the crowds are proclaiming him the Messiah, the King of Kings. They're proclaiming him the chosen one of God who has come to set them all free and to bring peace. And like, it, they are, as I said, they, it was a party. And yet, in the midst of this moment, we find um, a, a significant shift. When Jesus, as he comes in, does not do what the people expect him to do. He doesn't say what they expect him to say. And everything goes off the rails. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, when things don't go my way, things in me start to go off the rails. 
And the, the people, the crowds who were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of those same people, just a few short days later, are crying, crucify him. Because he didn't do what they thought he would do, so they wrote him off. His disciples, who were leading the entourage down into the city, going, yes, it's fine. Like, for three plus years, Jesus had been with his disciples, and he would tell people, shh, don't tell anybody who I am. I know who you are, shh, don't tell anybody. I, you healed somebody, don't, don't tell anybody. Just keep it, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. And now, for the first time, Jesus was like, go ahead, shout. Go ahead, coronate me. Go for it. And he's allowing all this to take place. And so the disciples are thrilled. This is the big moment. And yet, what happens? He goes into the city. A few days later, he's arrested, betrayed. And the one they thought would sit on the throne in Jerusalem with a crown, a golden crown, is nailed to the cross and wears a crown of thorns. And the disciples who were leading this entourage are in hiding, many of them. Nothing happened the way they expected. Everything came off the rails because... Because they wanted a king to come their way. And instead, he came his way. And so what I want to do as we, in just a moment, we're going to walk through Luke's account of the triumphal entry. So we're going to see how Luke tells the story of Jesus on this day coming into the city, the the party that happens, and we'll talk about some of the things that happen following it. But before we jump into that, I want to just give you just a little bit of historical context for the moment, and this will help later on in the message. The Jewish nation, the people of Israel, had once been slaves in Egypt. And if you've seen Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you you know the general story. Uh, The nation had been enslaved by Egypt, and they were living under the whip. And Moses, their, you know, Messiah, Savior, Deliverer, shows up on the scene. He represents Jesus, by the way. And he shows up on the scene, and he tells the Pharaoh of Egypt, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, not a chance. And then there are a bunch of plagues, you know, frogs and gnats and river to blood and all this kind of stuff. So all of these, but the final plague, the 10th plague is the one that will break the camel's back and they will get set free. It is the angel of death. And what you need to know about this is before this 10th plague, Moses comes to the the people of Israel and he says to them, what I want you to do is on the 10th day of Nisan, the 10th day of the Jewish calendar, the seventh month of Jewish calendar, the 10th day of Nisan, everybody say the 10th day, this is important. The 10th day is important. On the 10th day of Nizan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose for each household or each family, I want you to choose a lamb or a goat. Spotless. The best one you can find. The best of the best. One year old, roughly, so young and innocent. And I want you to take this goat or this lamb into your home on the 10th day of Nizan. And that goat will, or, or lamb will actually stay with your family for the next number of days. And on the 14th day of Nizan, you're to slaughter it course the kids are all now connected to it right it's like not fluffy because they've it's been in the house they've been caring for it it's been part of the family for a few days now they're going to kill it and the blood of the lamb is put on the doorposts of the house and on that evening the angel of death passes through the land and those who obeyed and had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost the death passed over their house and their their firstborn didn't die but many of the egyptians lost their firstborn because they had not done so. And so what happens is that breaks you know, Pharaoh's resolve and he says, get out of here. And the nation leaves. And so from that time forward, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, every year in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, they would have something called Passover. And they would celebrate it with a meal. And there were psalms that were read and there were prayers that were, and there were songs that were sung. It was a, there's a whole, and if, if those of you who are Jewish or have been part of those Jewish festivals, in, there's so much significance in the, the Passover 
festival. What you need to understand is that here, in this context, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem during the week of Passover. People have flooded into Jerusalem from all far and wide. Jews, faithful Jews, are there to worship, to offer sacrifices. They're there to commemorate this moment that God delivered them. And they would have been quoting Psalm 118. Psalm 118, if you read it, there's a section there that says, save us. And the actual Hebrew word is Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, so during the Passover festival, for hundreds of years, they were basically celebrating the fact that God was going to send someone to save them, a king. Hosanna. And on this day, they're, they're go- doing their festivities, and Jesus is coming into town as the answer to their prayer, as the promised Messiah. Like, this is all really, really, really great. People are excited in this moment. But what I want you to see is that the way he comes and the things that he does are not the things that we would do. I want to contrast for you as we walk through these verses the difference between our way, and, I, and when I say that, I mean mankind, the way that we would do it. I'm told, I guess there was some legislation change. We're supposed to say people kind or something else. Now I, I can't keep up with it at all. I mean the way that we would do it versus the way that God himself works and what he does, okay? And so here's what I want you to see. Um, let's begin in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, and it says this, and they brought it to Jesus. Jesus has requested a particular mode of transportation for this triumphal entry. And he makes requests and he sends them and they bring it, his ride, back to him. Now, let's talk about our way versus his way. If we were to coronate a king, if we were to welcome the king of kings and the lord of lords, the king of all kings, what would you have him ride upon? I, yeah, I think I heard someone say horse, because I would personally want a white stallion, you know, with flaring nostrils and wild eyes and mane flowing like this, flashy armor, just the whole deal, right? Like, I, I want this to be, I want people to see and go, yeah, that's the king. Like, clearly, that's the king. That's what, that, that's what I think of. Clearly, that's the way we do it, because in, in history, when we commemorate great warriors, great conquerors, great rulers, we think of them in this way. This is uh, Alexander the Great. Notice what he's riding, a majestic, furious horse. That's amazing. Here's, uh, here's another one of Genghis Khan, another statue. Notice what he's riding, majestic, powerful beast of war. Next, we have um, Napoleon. Oh, you love Napoleon. He was actually a pretty small man, but they make him look really big on that horse. Um, <laughs> so artists had to adjust it, you know, to make him look good for the history books. Uh, but notice the animals that they're riding on, right? Does that not make total sense to you and to me? Like, this is the way I would do it. If I was being crowned king, that's probably what, what I would want to ride on. And, and yet, and then there's Jesus. Here, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. Not just a donkey on the foal of a donkey. Like, a teenager donkey. <laughs> a, a young, innocent, helpless, peaceful donkey. This is how Jesus he chose his ride, by the way. He sends his disciples. He said, go into the town, and I want you to find a donkey's foal and bring it to me. And so they do. They're like, we don't understand. And they bring it to him, and he gets on it, and, and he's going to ride into the city riding a donkey. Now, why would he do this? Why would he choose this animal? Because our way 
as I as I meant, is to take it by force. Is that not the, the way that we think? Like if you if you're gonna have some, you take it by force. That is the way that great kings have always done it. And yet Jesus comes along and his way is to humbly receive. That's very different. See, one of the reasons why Jesus rode a donkey is because a donkey represents peace. Nobody, nobody takes a kingdom riding a donkey. He comes peacefully. Jesus' kingdom is not taken by force. Jesus' kingdom is given to him by his heavenly father. It's given to him. It's received humbly. Did you know in the Old Testament, there's a story about David, King David, one of the greatest kings the, the nation of Israel ever had, and a bunch of his sons were trying to take his throne from him. They're like, I'm in charge, and they're all trying to subvert him and take the throne. He's an old man, and they all think they're next in line. And, and there's this one moment where he says, Solomon, who was not the oldest, who, who came out of a messy relationship, he says, Solomon is the one to rule in my place. And he, they put him on the king's donkey, and they ride him through Jerusalem. Why? Because Solomon was a young man. He wasn't conquering Israel. It was being given to him by his father. That's the way Jesus' kingdom comes. It's humbly received. We don't take, religion says, oh, take it. Do the right things. Give enough money. Do all the stuff that you can somehow take it or earn it. But the kingdom of God that Jesus brings can be, only be given by the father and humbly received. This is the way that Jesus comes. Can you imagine a brave heart? Have you, if you've seen the movie, and I don't recommend it, uh, there's some content in there for sure, but I remember seeing it years ago, and I remember that scene. It's, it's a pivotal scene where he's riding on the horse in front of his army, and they pretty much know they're all going to die, but he's like, they may take our lives, and the horse is snorting, and just raring to go, but they can never take our freedom. And they, Now imagine the scene with him on a donkey. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. Get over here. They can take our, stop it. Take. They would have all went home. Jesus, Jesus comes to receive a kingdom that is given to him, not taken by force. That should tell us something about how he would have us to live. Secondly, Jesus was more interested in fulfilling the Father's will than his own. He's more interested in doing what God had said he would do rather than looking good. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, hundreds of years prior, a prophet had prophesied about this day that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem saying this. Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Here's this very specific, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, it's not about how he looks. He's literally saying, I don't want it my way, I want it his way. Every fiber of his being wanted to please his father and to do what had been planned to be done, not for him to take it by force like many of the great leaders that we have seen on the earth. So as we continue in the story, it says that he rode along, uh, as he rode along, they spread their coats on the road, and, and they also took palm branches, and they laid them down, and they were waving them like, you could just imagine the scene. It goes on in verse 37, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. A few days prior, Jesus had ra uh, raised Lazarus from the dead in a town nearby. And this wasn't just like he was, we think he might have been dead. He had been dead for, for four days and he smelled. Like he was dead, dead. And the word began to spread. This is partly why the people came out of the city and joined the disciples. And this massive crowd is celebrating Jesus as he comes into town. The mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king 
who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The thing that we discover as the story continues is that their declaration of here is the king quickly changes when he doesn't act like the king they expect him to act like. Does that, that make sense? And so the people are bewildered and, and, and run in different directions. I, I wrote this down as we're laying out this contrast between our way and his way. Here's, here's our way. Our way is God give us what we want. Think about the things you pray about, the things that you're concerned with God about. Most of them are, at least in my case, they've been self-centered. It's like, God, I need this, and I want that, and can you provide this opportunity for me? And there's nothing wrong with bringing our requests to our Heavenly Father, but, but it's, our approach to God can sometimes just be about us, and it's like, God, give me what I want. That was not Jesus' approach, and it should not be ours. His way was, God, give us what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, when I was a kid, I was about six years old, my parents went away and they left us with a babysitter. She was very old. She was probably 50. I, no, she was, she was pretty old. <laughs> I'm getting close, guys, so I'm, I'm laughing at myself. Um, she, she, she was old. She was old school. And uh, I remember the one morning I was, I was having cereal with my brothers, and so me and my, my older brother and my younger brother were sitting at the table and uh, we pour a bowl of cereals, Cheerios, or whatever it was. And uh, she comes around, and she's going to pour the milk into our bowls for us. Uh, now I'm a parent. I understand that. Uh, so she comes by, and she, she pours the milk in, but she poured, like, that much milk into my bowl. And I couldn't even get my cereal wet. And as I said, I'm very particular about how I eat my food. This is not wet enough. And so I'm tr- and I, I said to her, I said, I need more milk. And she said, no, you don't. She was probably raised in the Depression and lived through it. And she knew that I could survive on what was already in that bowl, but I was convinced, no, I want more. And so I said, I want more milk. She said, oh, you want more milk? I said, yes, I want more milk. You really want more milk? Yes, I do. She poured it over my head. My brother's got a real kick out of that. Yeah, yeah. And I was scarred for life. So now when I'm at home, I just, I just load up the milk. I was like, let her go and just enjoy. Uh, it's so good. The, the point is... <laughs> The point is, um, we, when we approach God, we're like, God, give us what we want. And God loves us so much more. He, he won't do this. He gives us what we, what we need, what we truly need. You know, what's so interesting about this moment, the people are celebrating the fact that a king is coming to save them, to basically get rid of Rome. That's what they wanted more than anything else. And God has a whole different agenda. He has a better agenda, actually. And as Jesus uh, comes into town, they're choosing a king, but check this out. God is choosing a sacrifice. Palm Sunday is the 10th day of Nizan. It's the 10th day of the seventh month. It is the day, so while Jesus is coming into town, families are choosing a lamb for their sacrifice. And they're going, a king, a king, a king, and God's going, there is the perfect sacrifice, the one who will free my sons and daughters from their sin who will defeat death on their behalf and bring them back into my family. I want you to see, they were totally off. They missed the whole point. God is going, there is the sacrifice that I have for them. Anybody here ever prayed dumb prayers? <laughs> and you're willing, yeah, yeah. Mind sharing a few? Uh, no. No, we all, we all do that, right? And I'm so thankful that we, we really do have a God who, who gives us what we need and not what we want. And I, when I was in high school, 
I used, to, I used to play the guitar a lot, and it was kind of my thing, and I would sit in the halls, and I would play. At the time, Garth Brooks was really popular. Country music had this resurgence. And so I used to play Garth Brooks' love songs, and all the girls would gather around the hall. It was, it was pretty marvelous, actually. Um, I was telling my son recently, I'm like, look, you want to have your, your choice of the ladies, learn an instrument, you know, sing songs. None of them were interested in me, but they liked the music. Um, <laughs> So I'm there, I'm playing, and one of the songs I used to play, I get requested all the time, was uh, the song Garth Brooks used to do called Unanswered Prayers. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. It was really nice. Um, but the whole point of the song was, in the song, you know, it, it talks about how this guy, when he was young, he had this girl in mind, and he was like, if only God, if you would just give me her, everything in life would be perfect. That is the only thing I want. If you just give me that, then I'll follow you. And I, like, just that whole, like, God, if you could just answer my prayer. And then he's reflecting back. He's like, he runs into the girl that he thought was the girl. And then he's, he's looking at his wife and his kids, and he's going, I'm so glad you didn't answer that prayer. You had something better in mind for me. I mean, that's the idea. And that really is the case. And, you know, in those moments, in those moments, even in our lives, when it feels like, and you've been there, when it feels like God hasn't come through, and it's really hard, there's loss, there's tragedy, there's disappointment. And in those moments, it's easy to go, where are you, God? Why didn't you do something about this? How could you let me experience this? It's important in those moments to remember um, that his love was displayed on the cross when he gave his son for us. And, and, and that so much of what we think we want is overshadowed by what we truly need. And, and God is willing to do that for us. As we continue in, in the, the text, in verse 39, it says this, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'd like to spend more time on this than we will, but here's the big idea. They're saying, Jesus, you need to stop this. And Jesus essentially says, I can't stop this. This is God's plan. And even if I told my disciples to stop singing Hosanna, the rocks would do it. And as I read that and thought about it, I thought, how many times in my life I have thought that I could actually stop God's plan? Like that, that somehow me resisting God, and I have resisted God, and he says, do this, and I'm like, no. And he says, I want you to say this, and no, and I want you to give this. I'm like, no, and I'm resisting God, thinking that I'm stopping his plan. It's like trying to stop the tide, you know, standing on the beach, stop, pushing the water back. It just continues. And you know, honestly, our resisting God means that we miss an opportunity. It's not his opportunity that's missed. He invites us to join him in his kingdom. He invites us to join us in his mission and his plan. And, and it will be accomplished with or without us. But we get the opportunity to do it with him. As I continue with the contrast, our way, uh, we've talked about, uh, is to have what we want, but he gives us what we need. Our way is to live for the moment. Our way is to live for the moment. The people are so excited at what they see, so excited at the prospect of having a king. They're thrilled about this moment, and they're celebrating and dancing, but when the moment passes, their hearts turn very quickly. We live for the moment. And then it says this, and when he drew near and saw the city, this is Jesus, notice what it says, he wept over it. Literally, the people are shouting Hosanna, they're dancing in the streets, and Jesus is crying. What's wrong, Jesus? It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. That's, that's bad. That's really bad. I'm sorry. Couldn't help myself. But Jesus is weeping because what they're looking at and what he's looking at are very different. Catch this. They're looking at the situation. They're looking at 
all of the details around this day, and Jesus is looking far into the future. He knows they're not going to accept him. He knows the people of Jerusalem in general will turn from him, and he knows the whole city will be destroyed, and the people he loves will be lost. And his heart is broken while they're having a party because he's looking at something different. And, and how, how easy is it for us to lose sight, to get so caught up in the moment that we miss the things of eternity, the things that really matter? Just a stupid example, but this week I was in my office and I had a salad for lunch. It was one of those ones you get at the grocery store in the plastic container. And I flipped it open and I poured the salad dressing on top. And someone had you know, very carefully stuffed as much as they could in that bowl. And when I stuck my fork in, the salad spilled all over the desk, getting dressing all over my desk. And at first glance, I was mad. I was like, really? Like, why would they do that? And I just, I literally just sensed in my heart, it's like, you, like, that is a first world problem. Too much food in the bowl, <laughs> right? That's like, the internet is too slow. I can't watch cat videos. And we're praying to God, like, please, you know, our third vehicle won't start, you know. First world problems. But sometimes it's so easy, and I know that's kind of joking, but sometimes we get so caught up in our clothing and our stuff and our opportunities and all of the stuff that is about the present, and we lose sight of eternal things, the things that really matter. Like as I'm sitting there complaining about somebody putting too much salad in my bowl, it hit me. There are people starving all over the world. So what do we do about that? You know, when my kids are bugging me to spend more time with them, I'm thinking there are kids that don't have parents that love them. There are people walking around our city who have no hope and don't know God. It's like it's so easy for us to get so caught up in what we want in this moment and, what, and how it all works out that we lose sight of what really matters. So let me recite to you what Jesus says as he's weeping and looking at the city as he's about to enter into it. I have an image here. This is an artist rendering AD 70 roughly. Rome finally is fed up with the Jewish people revolting and trying to you know, get their nation back and they come in with their army and they destroy the temple. It has never been rebuilt. Jesus says this. He sees it all coming some 30-some years prior. He says this. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus says the king has arrived but the king didn't show up in the way you thought. He didn't do what you thought, so you didn't receive him. And the end is really, really ugly for them, and it breaks his heart because he cares more about people than he cares about the stuff that we focus on. Here's, here's the last contrast that I want to make, and, and then I'll wrap this up. Our way is always to address the external problem. Like when you think about your life and you think about the, the things that you're praying about, the things that you're hoping God will do for you, they're typically external things, Right? Like, I'm not getting along with my boss. God, would you fix my boss? Would you change him? You know, my spouse is being annoying. God, would you change her heart? Would you do something in him? And, and, and that's fine to pray for God to, to move on your behalf and all that stuff. But, but we want him to fix the, the external stuff. And so this is what's so fascinating to me. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, first of all, he's on a donkey, not a horse. He's crying when everybody's celebrating. And now as he rides into the city, everyone's got to be thinking he's going to ride that little not impressive donkey, right into the palace where he will, by his power, because he just raised somebody from the dead, he's going to remove Rome's power, sit on the throne, put on a crown, and then everything's good. Problem solved, because Rome is the problem. And yet notice what Jesus does. It tells us in the text that he entered the temple. He entered the heart of their worship and religion. 
He went there instead and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So while we're constantly focused on all the external stuff we want God to do, he comes and wants to address the internal things that are plaguing our hearts. We expect him to fix all that stuff out there, but he wants to do a work in here. You know, over the years, my prayers have started to change. I used to pray, um, I used to pray that God would change everyone else. <laughs> Honestly, I did. Um, as a pastor, you know, it's just like, God, would you just please fix the people, you know? And, uh, and, and then as I've grown, as I've become slightly wiser over the years, I realized that the best prayers are the ones where I ask God to change me, the ones where I begin to see with his eyes what he sees, where instead of me focusing on what I think are the problems, that I would realize that the real problems are sin and death and that Jesus came to conquer those forever. And when we, when we understand that, when we understand that his kingdom did not come as a kingdom that would, that would destroy the Romans and, and set the people free physically, but it began in the hearts of people by setting them free spiritually. And that kingdom continues to grow throughout the world. That kingdom has no walls. And that king will sit on the throne of any heart that will have him and receive him humbly. So on Palm Sunday, we're, you know, we, even though it didn't go the way they expected, we can still celebrate today. We can still leave so encouraged that there is a king sitting on a throne. By the way, one day he will return to earth and rule and reign. And interestingly enough, when he comes in the book of Revelation, guess what he'll be riding? A white horse. Call it Air Horse One. Yeah. But... But he will. He will return. He will return. His kingdom will be established. But here's the thing. It starts now. It starts now. It starts here. And if, and if you're here today and you're like, yeah, hey, that's, that's all good, but I, I've never received Christ into my heart. Humbly receive. It's so simple. Humbly receive. That is the way that he comes you're not going to achieve it. You're not going to work for it. You're not going to make it happen. God's kingdom, you don't make it happen. It comes. It comes into your life, into your heart. So Jesus did not establish a kingdom as we would expect him to. But he established an eternal kingdom that is even better. So the bottom line is, is simply this. Um, you can't have his kingdom your way. You can only have it his way. And I would just say that his way is better. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for each person in this room. And, and I know that all of us are in different places in our lives, wrestling with different things. I know that there isn't a sermon I could preach that would touch everyone in the way they need to be touched. But Lord, you can, and you are here with us. Uh, I pray, Father, today that if anyone is here who has never received Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, who has never from their heart cried out, Hosanna, save us, humbly receiving the King of glory into their heart, I pray they would do so today. I pray they wouldn't leave until they talked to somebody, prayed with somebody, just got to the root of that issue. And so God, for those of us here who, who are trying to follow you and have received you as king, it is so easy for us to get our eyes off the things that matter, onto the temporary, onto the momentary, onto the things that, that we think are important. Would you help us to have your eyes to see your kingdom and the things that matter? I pray all this today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week.